listening to OT Uncorked, the podcast for wine-loving OTs. I'm your host, Miranda Rennie. On OT Uncorked, we uncork hot topics in occupational therapy and a bottle of wine. In this episode, I talked with Dominique Keo, founder of Just Adapt, a nonprofit startup that is promoting justice by connecting people with the equipment they need. But don't take my word for it. Keep listening to hear all about Dominique's journey of establishing this organization. Hi, Dominique. Hi, how are you doing, Miranda? Good, how are you? Good. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm kind of touch base with all the exciting things you're working on. And I think I have so much to learn from you. So I'm excited to (laughs) to dive into the good stuff. (laughs) Excellent. Vice versa. So we're figuring it out. (laughs) We we sure are. Um, But before we do that, of course, I want to ask you, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking a 2017 Shiraz, which was on my counter already. (laughs) (laughs) That is the best kind of wine, right? When it's already available. (laughs) (laughs) How about you? I am drinking a, an Italian Pinot Grigio, and it's interesting. It's from this wine cellar called 90 Plus. And one time I actually got to meet one of the representatives who works for them. And it, they basically take really nice wine from nice wineries from all around the world. And I guess I don't fully understand it, but when they overproduce wine, they sell it to this company under the promise that they won't advertise where it's from. So oh, nice. this, yes, the sellers can sell them for like $10 a bottle. They sell them at a discounted rate, but you get the same really good quality wine. So I'm enjoying Perfect. it. Nice. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah. So before we dive into what you're doing right now, I want to know, first of all, what even got you into the field of occupational therapy? What a great question. I always love asking other people that question too. (laughs) Um, Well, basically, my parents actually met on a service trip helping people with cerebral palsy when they were younger. Um, And they both do not work in healthcare. They just happen to be volunteering on the same trip. But I kind of grew up going on this trip every single year since I was a baby. So I started with me just like writing postcards for people to send home and stuff. And then it ended up with me like helping with feeding them and dressing them. And then one of my best friends in high school when I was applying to colleges, because um, I was mistakenly accidentally referring to PT when I was trying to put out my um, my applications. And she was like, you're describing <laughs> occupational therapy. And I was like, I am. <laughs> so luckily, I was able to change my major before I actually applied to school. <laughs> um, but it was great because I got to go to so many open houses and figure out um, exactly what defines OT to me. And, you know, growing up and helping people with disabilities um, really helped shape who I am as a person. So it just made sense to enter that field. That's so cool. And I also like to ask people that question, obviously, and everybody has such different experiences and things that lead them to OT, but we all kind of have the same goal in mind, which is really neat. Yeah. Big picture goal, right? (laughs) So up until this point, which you're starting a new venture, which we're going to get to, before this, what were some of the practice settings you worked in and what did your kind of professional journey look like? 
So I um, have been practicing for about five years. Um, most of it has been in an acute care adult settings in hospitals. Um, I dabbled a little bit in the school system as well. Um, and I did a few shifts in some local um, subacute rehab facilities, but my main focus has been in adult acute care occupational therapy. Um, a lot of it has been orthopedically based, but I also helped treat some patients um, both acutely and sometimes covering on an inpatient rehab unit who had like brain injuries and strokes um, and things like that. Kind of seen it all. I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that leads me to what I'm really excited to ask you about, which is your new venture. So tell us about your current project, what you're working on. So I actually started a nonprofit um, called Just Adapt, um, which basically was brought on by the fact, because I've worked in a few hospitals and seen kind of similar patterns where there were people who whose discharges might have been held up because equipment wasn't ready for them. And they, we had equipment vendors in the hospital, but the patient didn't have the right insurance or didn't have insurance that would cover specific types of equipment. And a lot of times it was equipment that occupational therapists recommend like shower chairs and tub benches and grab bars, all these things that help make the bathroom safer. And that's where most patients fall. So it just kind of seemed interesting to me that we're recommending all these things to our patients, but at the end of the day, they go home sometimes without them, um, which I thought was unjust. <laughs> so I came up with idea, this idea for Just Adapt because I kind of wanted to help bridge that gap financially for patients, almost like a financial assistance program. Where if I know I have if I know that there's a patient in need who needs a piece of equipment, I can just fund that for the patient before they go home, so that they don't hold up their discharge and they get what they need. That's amazing, and I think you really identified a major need that I would imagine other therapists can really understand, and that that probably really resonates with them. We want the best for our clients. We can make the best recommendations, but at the end of the day insurance, finances, and other barriers really get in the way of the patient being able to carry out the plan that we collaborated with them on. Right, exactly. So obviously this experience was really impactful for you if you started a nonprofit organization to kind of help bridge that gap. Did you always imagine that you would start some sort of business or organization or was this something that just came out of passion? Um, yeah, so I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I always wanted to help people, as you know, from being an occupational therapist, but I think just seeing that area of need in the settings that I worked in, and then just trying to think of a solution, this kind of seemed like the most natural one for me. Um, and just kind of talking to people who work in different industries kind of helped me formulate this idea. And it's still in the process of getting off the ground. But this seemed like the most logical way to try and address this underserved population. Now, this is an issue that I'm sure people are encountering all over the country. You're located on the East Coast, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. So this could even you know, serve as a model for other people who want to bring this elsewhere yeah. around the country uh, to meet such a, a big need that we have. Right, because I think a lot of nonprofits um, cater to the needs of people who need medical equipment by dispensing the equipment, but that kind of gives another chore, so to speak, to the patient to go out and seek those nonprofits. They don't always know who, where to go, and I think sometimes social workers can help provide that information. Practicing OTs who are in the room can help provide that information, but I think it'd be even better if we can kind of meet the patient halfway and give them what they need before they leave. Absolutely. 
So my question is, how do you even go about starting a nonprofit organization? (laughs) That's a great (laughs) question. Um, I actually think so. I do have legal representation to help me with this because I wouldn't be able to do everything correctly without it, just knowing myself. Um, So if you know anybody, like family friends or people that you grew up with, your friend's dad, whatever the case may be, um, (laughs) for helping you, I think that's always a good place to start, um, just working your network. Um, and I just, the first thing you have to do is kind of come up with your idea, like identify an area of need that you're seeing is underserved, um, come up with a jazzy name. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very important part. Um, and then you have to file for your articles of incorporation with your state. Um, so since I'm from New York, I filed for my articles of incorporation with Albany, um, which came through right before I left for AOPA, which was very exciting, which is where I met you. Um, (laughs) after that comes a lot of research before you can file for the big tax document for making sure your IRS approved as a nonprofit organization, um, which is the 501c3. It's about a 29 page document and you have to have everything lined up perfectly before you send it because it could take eight months to be approved. So that's why I'm in this huge research phase, making sure that um, I'm coming up with an area that's unique and that can help serve patients in a way that they haven't been served before, Um, making sure that I have plans for fundraising, making sure that I have adequate support systems in place, because the other thing you need to do when you file for your articles of incorporation is come up with two people who are going to be on your board, Um, at least two people. Different states have different requirements. In New York State, you need to have three, including yourself. Um, so getting your board members in place, um, and who is going to be helping you organize and structure the nonprofit. So right now, a lot of it is me, but I do have two other board members for now. Um, and I'm just going to be trying to build out all of those legal documents we need (laughs) to get everything off the ground. So there's a lot to starting your own organization. Yes, you have to study a lot of tax law and study, um, business and marketing and social media and, (laughs) all these different areas that you didn't know went into it, but that make other nonprofits very successful and the ones that we can name, you know? So you mentioned that when you got started, one important step was seeking legal counsel, finding someone that you knew to get advice from. And you also mentioned talking to people from other industries. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about what that looked like. That was actually really interesting Um, (laughs) because so one of the things that I learned, so I took a online networking class um, from Entrepreneur Magazine that was really helpful. And one thing that they emphasized was something called soft connections, which is people that you've known um, kind of on the outside, like you've worked with them a few times or you haven't worked with them in years, but you're still friendly, not like somebody you would see every single day or one of your best friends. (laughs) Um, So I actually ended up um, going on my personal Instagram and putting up kind of an advertisement where I just was like, hey, if you work in any of these areas, I would love to meet with you and buy you mozzarella sticks and talk about what you know. And a few people really got back to me and were really helpful in meeting with me. And I was able to meet with people who work in PR and home care OT, um, people who work in nonprofits already or who sit on the boards of them, people who work in social media and marketing, um, hospital-based OTs that I used to work with who I love, um, hospital-based social workers. And I even had a friend who worked in former medical supply sales. So we just kind of were able to bounce off where they found areas of weakness or the things that need addressing and, um, you know, or language from their industries like PR. I didn't really know a lot about that going in. So (laughs) that was helpful. 
And I think you're highlighting something really important with these soft connections. First of all, because it can be really easy to have an idea related to OT and then stay within our circles of other therapists. And we can all have just the best ideas and really be excited. But it takes a team, right? Right. We know that in practice that we work with nurses and PTs and SLPs and teachers and hospital administrators, and the list goes on and on, patients, families uh, who we work with. And yet it seems like when it comes to other ideas outside of sort of daily practice, sometimes I think we forget all the resources that we have around us and all the people, like you said, those soft connections or even people that we're really close with who can be supportive. Right. Exactly. Ideas. Yeah. And it helps to build your network too, because if you only talk to OTs or PTs or people who know your language of practice, you don't really get to learn all these other areas that you would need to, to be a good leader and more well-rounded in what you're trying to do. Um, but also it's also nice to catch up with people you haven't seen in a while. Like I met up with people I haven't gone, I went to high school with and people I've grown up with and haven't seen in a while and people who I went to OT school with in another state. So it's been really nice. It's cool to hear how you even used social media to reach out to other people. And like you said, keep building those relationships you already have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What other resources would you say that you found helpful aside from even just the people that you've met and, and or reconnected with? Yes. Um, so one of the good things that we have at our disposal everywhere is the internet. So you can kind of just look up different things that you need to find out. But the best thing that I have found is that I have these four books that I have been reading um, that kind of just have been helpful in different sectors of what I need to know. Um, so I can kind of list those off for you. I feel like some of them have long titles, but they kind of get to the gist of exactly what I needed to know. Um, that would be great. Please do read them off. And I'll also post them on the blog so that if other people want to read them, they can find the super long titles there and don't need to get their pens out now. (laughs) Perfect. Um, so the first one is start a 501c3 nonprofit that doesn't ruin your life, how to legally structure your nonprofit to avoid IRS trouble, lawsuits, financial scandals, and more by Audrey K. Chisholm Esquire, a female lawyer, which I loved. Um, that was the that was the only paperback book I bought. The other ones were on my Kindle, which I'll go into shortly. Um, the other one was Nonprofit Kit for Dummies, fifth edition, by Stan Hutton and Francis N. Phillips. That one was really surprisingly so informative. It's like five hundred pages long, so I'm still going through that one. It, it doesn't. It also make you feel good that there were four generations of dummies before you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, another one is how to start, run, and grow a successful nonprofit organization by Aaron Sanders. This one was great because it structures the different laws required for each state. Um, so they had New York, obviously for me, but they, it was also good to know what other states were covered because you never know who might be out there that might need that information. Um, and the last one that I have left to read is nonprofit bylaws made easy by Steve Vick. Um, that's a shorter book, but that you have to be able to write your own bylaws and kind of what's going to help guide your nonprofit into practice and carry out your mission and your vision. Those do not sound like light reading you'd bring on vacation with you, but they sound really <laughs> no, helpful in what you're doing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so with all of this really intense reading, yeah. <laughs> How are you keeping track of all this new information? Because from what it sounds like to me, you're diving into all these other industries or knowledge areas that are pretty new to you. Mm-hmm. And you are having to integrate all of that into this new idea. 
Yeah. So what, what strategies do you use to kind of keep track of all, all that you're learning? That is a great question. Um, well, first of all, the best thing that I've done so far that I would recommend to people is I rented a workspace in my neighborhood that's pretty close by um, and affordable. That was the biggest one because <laughs> I saved up a lot to kind of start this process. But um, when you're in your home, you can't really get as much done in my, in my opinion and my experience because you're kind of, your brain is off and you're, you're like, okay, the day is done and now I can relax. But if I have a workspace that I can go to, that's kind of like an office that helps to structure me a little bit. Um, so what I like to do is on my Kindle books, the best thing that I have found is when I find information that's pertinent to what I'm going to be doing or what I know that I'll have to do, I can highlight it with my finger. And then when I finish the book, you can export your notes from your Kindle into a PDF file that you can send to your email. So once I've done that, I can kind of organize my documents based on areas of research I'm doing. So I can do a document on fundraising, a document on laws that I need to know, a document on forms that I need to fill out, a document on um, nonprofits in the area that might do something similar or might do something different, um, a document on different bylaws that other nonprofits have that might be interesting for me to look into structuring my bylaws. So it's a lot, (laughs) but it's all about organizing for what works for you since you're going to be the one doing all the organizing. Yeah. And that's cool that you found that feature on the Kindle. I had to Google it, but I figured it out. It's really cool that you've figured out how to maximize the technology that you have available. Of course, you know, anywhere from the internet, just Google is the best tool, but also figuring out how you can use your Kindle and Um, I'm sure talking with other people about what what resources they use, but how you can really use some of these cool technologies to advance your your learning and help keep yourself organized as you move forward. Exactly. I think that is something that's been kind of a struggle point for me as well, learning all of the technology associated with podcasting and even, you know, what you're talking about. What are your thoughts on how we can kind of promote technological kind of awareness and use among OTs who maybe want to take a next step into a personal venture or a nonprofit organization? Um, I think that's a great question. I think a lot of people can learn about technology on their own, but it's obviously so much more helpful to learn in a group setting, especially in OT curriculum. Um, A lot of people are branching into the community-based practice sector. And um, I think that's helpful to just have that knowledge going in. I actually found a lot of information at AOTA about tech-based OT stuff, which I'm sure you did too. Um, but I think there's probably some online classes that people can take and hopefully just talking to people who are more knowledgeable about it. I'm more of a visual learner myself. So seeing people who know what they're doing makes me know what I'm doing. (laughs) And it's so much better when we all try to learn together and share resources than doing it on our own. Exactly. Absolutely. There's actually a resource I found recently. It's a Facebook group for OT entrepreneurs. Oh, and share. <laughs> yeah, I will. It's run by Sarah Lyon, who runs otpotential.com, and the, she also hosts the OT Potential podcast. Nice. But she has this group, and so people post questions all the time, like, you know, what EMR do you use if you're in private practice? Or, you know, what are your thoughts on this type of business or this type of organization for OT? How do you do billing for your private practice? I mean, the questions are just constant and the feedback is constant and it's so interesting to read what other people are doing and it helps me even just frame questions or frame things that I then want to Google or find books about. Right. (laughs) 
and just connecting with other people who who have ideas that they're pursuing and you can get a little bit of that community through the virtual context which is cool that's perfect i'll check that out (laughs) yeah so you've mentioned all around there's just a lot of research involved in starting a business and or starting an can you hear me now? Yes. <laughs> okay. It, you know, it just said disconnected. So I'm going to start that question again, just okay. in case it didn't record. Thank you for saying that. Because as you said it, I saw it pop up. Gotcha. <laughs> on the screen. Thank you. Okay. What was I going to say? Ask me research. Um, I wish you could have heard me because then you would have known where I was going. No. I know. <laughs> okay. So you have mentioned that there's a lot of research, learning, networking involved in just starting the process of founding an organization, a nonprofit. What would you say are some of the biggest, we'll start with barriers. What are some of the biggest barriers you've found to starting a nonprofit? Aside from all the research, is there anything else that sticks out to you? Um, well, I think one thing that I knew coming in was that I would have to kind of save up a lot just so that I can focus all of my efforts on this. Um, but there's just all these unexpected costs that come up. Um, like when I do file for the IRS form, it could be somewhere around $600. And, you know, if you don't know that going in, then that might be tricky. (laughs) But if you do, then you can kind of save accordingly. Um, and same with filing for your articles of incorporation, that can be a little costly too. And then once you rack up the monthly cost of the renting a workspace, if you do that and paying for a phone bill, if you have a separate phone for your business, just kind of making a budget should be something that you prioritize early on. So you don't find yourself having to kind of shuffle things around. Um, I was lucky in that I kind of planned, I'm a planner, (laughs) but I think (laughs) that's still been a barrier in that I want to make sure that I can do this sustainably for a long time. Um, so I have to kind of keep on top of that as I go. And I'm not very well versed in math as being an OT. <laughs> so <laughs> you got to kind of make sure you get real good at math. <laughs> yeah. Even more learning to do, right? Right. <laughs> now you mentioned that you planned on this for a while. Mm-hmm. And a part of that planning process was saving up. Are you currently working? And at what point in this process kind of did you start I guess, what was your timeline for starting this process of Just Adapt? Um, Well, I wanted to give myself a few months to devote to this full time. So right now I'm working on this full time. I can probably do that for about another month or two. And then I want to start doing some part-time work just to kind of continue having the energy to put into this. Because I I know that working full time since I had for five years, has it kind of can drain your energy by the end of the day to focus on something else that's so dense like this, like reading about tax law. <laughs> I might not want to do that after a full shift somewhere, but um, I think that will that time will come. But for now, I wanted to just kind of bury myself in a corner somewhere and make sure that I had all this legal documentation stuff understood by me and making sure that I can build this out. So it all depends on the kind of person you are, if you're somebody who wants to do this. But I know that I can kind of focus my best when all of my energy is put into it. So that's kind of where I'm at with it right now. So we talked about some of the barriers and challenges and kind of the planning that can go into starting this your organization. But what are some of the successes or like kind of little victories that you've already experienced as a new founder of a nonprofit? 
Um, I think some big ones have been, especially just meeting with the people that I have. Um, there's just hearing from people that I haven't seen in a long time or that work in different areas say, yeah, I think this is a market or I think this is a good idea um, has been helpful. Cause you know, when you have an idea in your head, it might sound great. But then when you talk to somebody else, sometimes you're kind of wondering what they're going to think on it, especially if they don't work in healthcare. Um, but, and that as well as securing some board members that might be interested in helping me. Um, and even just naming the type of work that I want to do within the nonprofit. There's so many different kinds of nonprofits that there are in terms of, being um, a nonprofit that helps dispense medical equipment or a financial assistance nonprofit. And um, having that distinction helps guide my research a lot. So just landing on these almost buzzwords to help guide a whole other area of research when I find them is always great because that just leads to a really productive afternoon. (laughs) That makes me wonder too, when you think sort of defining what Just Adapt's role is going to be in the discharge process for patients. Mm -hmm. Has your vision for what Just Adapt does or looks like, has it changed since you started the process? That's a great question. Um, I feel like it's gotten more refined. I think when I first met you, I was, it was still a few months ago, so I was still in the very early stages of the research process. And I still consider myself to be just because you want to make sure you cross all your I's and dot all your T's. Um, but... <laughs> Um, but it helped me to kind of refine the kinds of programs that I would want to do because I would like to start off as more of a financial assistance role, but then maybe, you know, delve into some areas of free education classes for patients that might not have access to it in the community, like medication management and falls prevention, um, you know, chronic disease management and things like that. So it just kind of helped me figure out where I'd like to be, not just tomorrow or next year, but you kind of have to have a long-term plan when you're doing something like this. So coming up with your procedures. That's a really cool vision too, because when you're talking about providing financial assistance or supplying medical equipment to people who can't afford it, there's also other health disparities that exist among populations that aren't necessarily as economically privileged. And mm-hmm. some of that means some, okay, sometimes that can mean lower health literacy or that can be decreased access to community resources that can help them understand more about their health and well-being. And so I love that you're thinking about doing courses because it's almost like the the equipment can be a way to connect with the community or you can connect with them ahead of time to hopefully avoid their need for the equipment. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because usually people who come into the hospital aren't there just one time, unfortunately. They usually end up coming back for different procedures because a lot of people have chronic illnesses. I think that's that's an amazing vision. And I'm so excited to see where you go with this oh, and the difference you. that you make because it's, I, I have no doubt you will make a difference with this. It's, I'm just excited to see what that looks like in practice. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a, a joy, like meeting with you and getting to see what your opinions were on this. Even when we met at AOTA, you were so excited right off the bat, and that, that made me even more excited. <laughs> That's why we've got to have you know other people who are doing things and stepping out of their comfort zone, exactly, and kind of encouraging each other along the way. It's been a busy two months. <laughs> yeah, it has been. <laughs> I'm impressed with how much you've gotten done. Thank you. Thank you. I know it's been, it's sometimes it feels like you don't have a lot done because you don't have like a product or something yet in your hand. But, um, but just even having the knowledge that I didn't have before or like finding those areas where 
somebody will highlight in a book or something like what you shouldn't forget. Like there's this one piece of paper that if you don't file annually, you lose your tax exempt status if you don't do it for three years in a row. And I was like, glad I know that. <laughs> like, that sounds like an important one. <laughs> yeah. There's just all this stuff that people, regular people who do this all the time make mistakes with. So I like to kind of learn from other people's mistakes also to prevent making them myself. Um, so that's been helpful. So if there's other people who want to learn from, I won't say from your mistakes, but from your successes and from what you're learning, <laughs> what's a way that the listeners can reach out to you? Um, I think the best thing for now would be the Gmail that we have for the nonprofit, which is justadaptservices at gmail.com. Um, just if you have any questions about what we're going to do or any feedback on what you think we should do, um, or if you work in a nonprofit and you have some good ideas, I'd love to hear from you. That's great. And I will also post that on the blog so people can reach out to you and share ideas because that's part of what I want to do here with this podcast is connect people, get people engaged in what's happening. And, and I think connections are so big as we've talked about multiple times during this talk even. Excellent. So Dominique, one thing I'm really excited to do is follow up with you down the line about the progress that you're having with Just Adapt. So I'd love to check in with you in six months or a year and we can touch base about what's changed, what's working, what you've learned, because the following your journey, I think is going to be really important for people who want to start their own organization or have that dream or that passion or that need that they found in their, in the population that they serve. And I think for you, for them, it's going to be really uh, encouraging and motivating and helpful to really hear your story develop from, from beginning to end, not end, oh. from beginning onward. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I look forward to that too. That's going to be, it's going to be great, I think, to also just kind of hear from what other people are doing and what they're thinking along the lines too of how they want to develop their own ideas. So it's always good to have this sense of OT community where you can kind of bounce ideas off of each other and learn from each other. So I think you're doing something great here. <laughs> Well, and I'm excited about what you're doing. And I also I also think that sometimes when when somebody steps out of their comfort zone, when they kind of take a leap of faith to follow a dream or a passion or an idea, we sometimes don't hear about it until it's been underway for a while and they've sort of found stable ground and they found their footing in it. Right. And what I love is your courage to step out now with your amazing idea and say, here's what I'm doing, here's what I'm learning. And you know, it's hard and I'm learning a lot and there's so much happening here, but that you're just being brave and sharing this with everybody so that we can learn from the grassroots part of this and kind of follow you along the way. That would be great. Thank you so much. Thank you. So if you're listening, we're recording this and publishing it in June of 2019. So if you're listening to this in the future, stay tuned because an episode's probably coming out soon. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, Dominique, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for sharing your, your new wisdom and all that you've started to gather in this process. We, I, I know I learned a lot and I, I'm sure the listeners did as well. Thank you so much. I look forward to chatting with you again soon. All right. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of OT Uncorked. For access to the resources mentioned and to add your voice to the conversation, visit the resource blog at otuncorked.com and leave a comment. 
If you enjoyed this episode, share OT Uncorked with a friend, leave a review, and hit the subscribe button. Thanks again for listening. Cheers!